Have you ever watched somebody do something really, really well, and it just feels like they were born to do what you're watching them do? I think about like, like Tiger Woods when he was two years old swinging a golf club on TV. It's hard to imagine him doing anything but, but winning you know, major titles at some point in his life. Or, or Paul McCartney. Think about Paul McCartney. What if Paul McCartney had wanted to be a plumber? I mean, you can't even... You can't even get your mind around that idea apart from him being maybe the greatest songsmith the world has ever known along with a guy named Lennon to think what, what it, that maybe McCartney was just born to do that. Mozart is another one. Mozart was by all accounts a, a child prodigy composing long before he ever became a teenager. And, and you can think of other people that you've seen or witnessed or observed. You just think, man, they were born to do what they did. Well, I learned something a long, long time ago. I went through a season where, for whatever reason, I, I was reading a lot of biographies. And I read a lot of really diverse people's stories. I, I read from, you know, like Winston Churchill to Sam Houston, Michael Jordan to Vince Lombardi, Dwight David Eisenhower, on and on, and Muhammad Ali, all across the historical, political, racial spectrum. It didn't matter who they were, where they came from. I was really curious about what made these people tick. And as diverse as that list is that I just reeled off for you, and there were others, there was one common thread that as I read through their biographies, I found this, this commonality that united all of them, no matter their era, no matter their background, it didn't matter. One thing united all of them. Every single one of those people who were difference makers made deliberate decisions that determined their destinations. They were not destined or fated by fortune to end up somewhere, but they made conscious decisions all along the way that helped them become who they became. Now, they, they of course, had certain gifts and talents. They had a drive and an ambition that obviously helped them but bottom line, it came down to the choices. It was not destiny. It was decision that determined their destinations. There, there's a guy in the Bible, though, who kind of merges the destiny school with the decision school. One guy in particular that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, and I'm talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is one of the most fascinating, intriguing, educational, helpful characters, and actual historical figures whose life the Bible records. Some of you, you're probably familiar with the name, at least, John the Baptist. Maybe some of you grew up in a tradition and they told you he was the first Baptist. You go all the way back to the Bible. That was where the Baptist began. <laughs> well, I don't want to shatter any illusions or dreams because the reality is that John the Baptist was not originally known as John the Baptist. His, his name, his, his nickname was not the result of any doctrinal or denominational thing. It, it was actually about what he did. He was known as John the Baptizer. He was born just a few weeks before Jesus was born and was actually the cousin of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is one of the most interesting characters. And so for the next few weeks, as we prepare for the holidays, we're going to study the life of the one who prepared the way for Jesus. Now, 
It's important that we understand right here at the very beginning why we're doing this. And to, to understand that, we're going to go to the words of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 11. Jesus himself said something so profound about John the Baptist that will kind of help us understand why we need to undertake this study of John's life. In Matthew chapter 11, look at what Jesus said. This, and before you read it, turn to your neighbor and tell him like you mean it with passion and enthusiasm. You ain't going to believe this. Now you're ready. Matthew 11, 11, Jesus speaking. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Drop the mic, check please. Can you imagine? What if the Son of God said that about you, that there was no one greater who was ever born than John the Baptist? Now, it's important that we understand there's a distinction. The New Testament records for us two primary characters who go by the name of John. There's, of course, John the Baptist, but he is different than John the disciple or the apostle, the one who was with Jesus amongst the 12 of Jesus' closest followers. John the apostle was the one who wrote the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation. But he is separate and distinct from John the the Baptist. John the Baptist was an absolute wild man. John the Baptist was one of these cats that comes along every now and then, but there was something about him as different as he was, as distinct as his ministry was, people were actually drawn to him. People wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to hear what was going on. Now in Matthew chapter number three, the Bible explains what John's ministry was all about, what, what John's life was all about. As I said, this, this marriage of destiny and the decisions, the choices that he made to fulfill his calling. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, just verses 1 and 2 to kick it off. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. It's fascinating because when you think about the wilderness, we, we think about forests and trees, but the Judean wilderness was, was more like a, it, it is more like a desert. Those of us who have who've made the trek to Israel, you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like, the best way to describe it, it's kind of like Lampasas with fewer trees. That, that's, that's the Judean wilderness, okay? And John the Baptist was out in the Judean wilderness preaching. People in town, in Jerusalem, and in the surrounding areas were like, you ain't gonna believe this guy. He's out in the wilderness, out in the Judean hillsides, and he's saying that we need to repent. We need to turn from our sin because the kingdom of God is near. This life, John the Baptist was prophesied by Isaiah 750 years before he lived. So it's hard to argue that John the Baptist wasn't born to do what he did, but 
there were absolutely decisions that he made along the way that fulfilled this calling that God had placed on his life. Look at how the Bible continues in Matthew 3. When I said that John was a wild man, check this out. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So there's this wild man living out in the wild, out in the wilderness, announcing the coming of Christ, announcing that the arrival of Messiah has finally come. Now, to the Jewish mind, they had been anticipating Messiah, Jesus, for over 1,500 years, going all the way back through their history to Abram, who became Abraham and his wife Sarah. When God announced to Abram that he would make of him a great nation, that Abraham and Sarah's descendants would be as many as the grains of sand in the beach or stars in the sky. And the story goes that Abram was a man of great faith, but even this man of great faith He said, Lord, yes, that'll be great. One problem. Sarah and I have no children. And just for the record, we're both really old. Like like we're, we're way, we're not just beyond the years of being able to bear children. We're beyond the years of wanting to bear children. So how are you gonna make us a great nation And yet that's exactly what God did. He supernaturally and miraculously moved so that Sarah conceived and Isaac was born and then other children were born and that family became the nation of Israel. And now John is announcing the fulfillment of the promise of the prophet, the the promise that God made to Abraham. When he said, I will bless the entire world through you because of your faithfulness, your faithfulness, I will bless the entire world. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophetic promise. And John is announcing that it is now time for the coming of Messiah. But but who is John the Baptist? This is this wild man out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere, announcing to people that Messiah is coming, and yet people are flocking out into the wilderness. To to understand this, you have to understand kind of the geography of the land. Judea and the Judean wilderness is kind of east of Jerusalem. But the wilderness for us, it'd be kind of like Bastrop, okay? That's, That's where John the Baptist, but without all of the cultural benefits of Bastrop. That's where John the Baptist was preaching and people were flocking to hear him. And once they responded and they repented of their sins and they decided to follow Christ, he would baptize them in the Jordan River. And just as as a brief aside, that baptism thing matters. That, That baptism, if you've ever seen somebody be baptized, I've gotten to baptize hundreds of people over the course of my life and my ministry is one of the great privileges that I enjoy as a pastor. And I have never, in, in all of my years of baptizing people, whether it's been in a, in a river, in the Jordan River, 
We, we've baptized people on these trips that we take to Israel periodically. It's an amazingly powerful moment. But it doesn't have to be in the Jordan River. It can be in the, in the Colorado River. It could be in somebody's pool. It could be in a baptistry in a church. It could be in a, in, in, in a jacuzzi. We've, we've baptized all over, not with the bubbles going, but it, it was in a jacuzzi. I have never, ever seen or heard of one person baptized as a statement of faith who came up out of the water and regretted it. Not one time has anyone come up out of the water and gone, I just wish I hadn't have done that. There is something so powerful in that. And the fact is that John not only baptized those people who responded, it was John the Baptist who baptized Jesus himself. Now I want you to take just a, just a hot second and, and consider that. The fact that Jesus was baptized. Was he any less God's son before the baptism? Or do you think that he was any more morally perfect and flawless after the baptism? I don't think so. I, Jesus did that as an example, as something that we could follow in the fledgling moments of faith at the very beginning of our walk with Christ in order to participate with him, to, to have a, a shared experience with the son of the living God. Jesus was baptized. And, and he was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, in the Jordan, in the Jordan River in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is a theme that you see repeated throughout the Bible. It's there over and over and over again. But it, it's not just a, a theme or a motif or some kind of a literary device. As a matter of fact, the wilderness plays a very specific role in the people of God. In, in the lives of people who follow Christ, in the lives of those who have faith in this living God, it is the wilderness that God uses to develop his people in order to demonstrate his purposes. It's in the wilderness that God develops his people in order to demonstrate his purposes. It's when we're scared if you've ever spent any time outside with wild animals, you're smart enough to be nervous. You're, you're smart enough to be scared. And yet, most of us avoid the wilderness at all costs. Don't, don't most of us gravitate toward comfort. Most of us move towards those things that take us away from the wilderness and the wild places of life. And yet it's the wilderness that God uses over and over and over again. In the life of Moses, he was tending his father-in-law's flocks on the backside of the desert. That, that means Moses was in the desert of the desert when God spoke to him out of a burning bush and he said, Moses, you will lead my people out of Egyptian slavery. It was in the wilderness that God prepared his people that he had just led out of slavery and for 40 years shaped them and molded them, preparing them for the promised land that he had guaranteed 
all the way back to Abraham. It was in the wilderness that David was tending his father's flocks and, and he developed skill with the sling. And he got, he got used to being a great marksman to keep the predators away from his dad's sheep. And it was that same sling that David would use to slay Goliath. And it was, it was in the wilderness that David developed this intimate relationship with God where he wrote so many of the most beautiful worship songs and psalms ever written. It was in the wilderness that David escaped the murderous rage of King Saul that he would succeed. But it was also in the wilderness where David spared the life of Saul when he had him at a most compromising position. It was in the wilderness that God called the prophet Elijah to call Israel back to himself. It was in the wilderness that Jesus went to pray for 40 days and 40 nights where he was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. And it was there in the wilderness that Jesus resisted the temptation with the word of God. It's in the wilderness that God develops us. And John the Baptist was a guy who had the wilderness in him. It, it, was just, it was just a part of him. His clothes were woven out of camel's hair. If you've ever been around a camel, let me just tell you something. They are, now if you're in the desert, they're a godsend. They store a lot of water, but they are nasty animals. I mean, they've got kind of a mean disposition. They'll, they will spit on you. <laughs> they're, they're, I'm telling you, they're unbelievable. And they are not aromatic. And so when you read this, don't think like a Brooks Brothers camel hair coat. No. His, his clothes were woven from camel hair. That, that's what it was like burlap. And, and he wore a leather belt, and there wasn't a big H on it either. I mean, it was, it was just kind of a, it was just tied there. And he ate wild locusts and honey. He was a wild man. And it was against this, this wild man persona backdrop that John the Baptist was born. If you go back to even before he ever drew a breath, before he ever uttered a peep as a little infant, the circumstances surrounding his birth tell us volumes about who he would become and, and what he would do. It's recorded for us in the book of Luke chapter one. Luke chapter two, of course, is the kind of the authoritative version of the birth of Jesus. I say, of course, because I think most of us have seen a Charlie Brown Christmas, and we know by record that Luke chapter 2 is the one that is quoted in a Charlie Brown Christmas. But in Luke chapter 1, the Bible records not just the birth of John the Baptist, but the announcement that his birth was impending. John the Baptist's parents were Zechariah and Elizabeth, incredibly faithful people, and as it happens, also very, very old and childless. But they had remained faithful in their frustration. They had stayed after. Zechariah was a priest. And as his tribe and his clan's turn would come up in the temple, he would serve faithfully. And it was in that moment, serving faithfully, that Zechariah was visited by an angel, Gabriel, the messenger 
of God. And in that visitation there in the privacy of God's temple, just Gabriel and Zechariah, Gabriel told Zechariah that he would be a dad, that he would have a son, that Elizabeth would bear a son. And not only would it be just just a, a great blessing, but that this son would be the one who would proclaim the coming of Messiah. Here, here's, here's how Gabriel describes this. Luke chapter one, verse 17. Gabriel says, he will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. As you might imagine, Zechariah was a little dumbfounded. He was, a, he was a little taken aback by this visitation from the angel. And the Bible goes on, and, and look at what it says in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Let's, I want to take that verse down right now, just if you don't mind, just for a hot second. I think it's interesting that Zechariah did not say anything about Elizabeth's advanced years with her in the room. It was just Zach and Gabe, you know, chilling fat in the temple there. And in this moment, he says, awesome. I'm so excited. How can I know this will happen? I'm an old man. I'm, I'm, our story's like Abraham and Sarah. How can this happen? And Gabriel responds with a little bit of heat. Gabriel comes back at him. Look at what he says, verse 19. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Now I want you to put yourself in Zachariah's sandals for just a second. I want you to think about this. Here you've been visited by an angel in the privacy of the temple, inside the inner courts. And because you expressed your doubt, the angel said, great, you doubt my words, you have no words. And so until the child is born, you will speak nothing of this moment. And Zachariah's like, mm-hmm. And he walks out. And the Bible says that the people outside the courts of the Lord could tell that Zechariah had had a special encounter with God. They knew something was up. He'd been in there longer than usual. And when he walked out, they said, Zach, what happened? And he went, mm-hmm. He couldn't speak. He was literally dumbfounded, struck dumb for nine months. Somehow or another, he communicated to Elizabeth what had happened, that Gabriel had told him they would have a child. And at a certain point, she believed him. And she went along in her pregnancy. The Bible goes on to tell us that that Elizabeth and Mary had an incredible encounter and visit together where they compared the notes of their supernatural pregnancies. And Elizabeth knew that when her baby was to be born, they were to name him John. 
Now, they didn't have any Johns in their family. And so the baby was born, and on the eighth day was to be presented for his circumcision, as was the custom. And there at the circumcision, the father, Zechariah, presides silently. And the people begin asking, what will you name this child? And Elizabeth says, his name is John. And the people are like, Liz, you can't name him John. You don't have a John in your family. You, you, can't, you can't use that. Who does that honor? Surely you're going with Zechariah Jr. or the third or the fourth or you know, maybe, maybe Isaiah after the prophet. And it's at this point that Zechariah asked for something to write on. And they brought him an iPad and he took the stylus and he wrote where all could see his name is John. And the father had spoken. And in that moment, in that act of faith, because remember it was Gabriel the angel who had told him what his name would be. In that step of faith, Zachariah's speech was restored. And the first thing that he did was he worshiped. The first thing that he did was he lifted up worship and praise to God. Here's how the Bible records this moment. Luke chapter one, verses 67 and 68. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. Worship. The first thing he could say was how awesome God is. That this was the beginning of the fullness of time. That God had visited. He was there with him and would be arriving soon in the form of Messiah to fulfill the restoration of his people, of those who go by his name. But then Zechariah did something even more astounding. Look at what he said about his new son. This is a, an incredible moment. In this moment of praise and worship, he said, and you, my little son, you will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. He, he's owning the prophecy of Isaiah from 750 years before for his boy. He says, you, my little son, brand new in this world, eight days old, you will show the people the way to salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. This concludes the introduction to today's sermon. <laughs> That's it. Here's the sermon. Stay wild. Stay wild in your faith. Stay wild in your hope. Stay wild. Don't get comfortable and complacent. You and I as a church family just spent 
five weeks exploring and explaining and studying prayer, what it means to have an active, healthy prayer life as a follower of Christ. Don't leave that on the shelf. Stay wild. Stay after it. Get you some camel hair faith. Try a little wild honey and locust hope. It's not about our comfort. It's about our calling. Our calling to show people salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. As we launch November, an absolutely flawless day today. Would you agree? When you woke up this morning, unbelievable. We've got just a few weeks before Christmas, a few fewer weeks before Thanksgiving. What are you doing to show people where to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins? Or are you more concerned with staying comfortable, staying domesticated, religious, a good guy, a good girl? Or are you willing to be wild? Are you willing to, are you willing to kind of step out there a little bit like this friend of mine down here? Are you willing to say, you know what? I, I want to do everything I can to see one more person discover the hope of Jesus Christ in their lives. Stay wild. That's what this is about. John the Baptist is a phenomenal study. What we're going to see over the next few weeks, it's going to rock your face off. But it's there as an example to follow, not just information to know. I want to ask you if you will bow your heads with me for just a brief moment. In this moment, I want to ask every single one of you to just consider, consider the wild man, John the Baptist, the purpose of his life. The purpose of his life was to show people salvation through the forgiveness of their sin in Christ. You and I live in a spiritual wilderness. We're surrounded by people who don't yet know the extravagance of God's love. So in this moment, I, I want to just put a question to you. Very simple, but very direct. Have you 
personally, have you found salvation through the forgiveness of your sins in Jesus? I say that it's simple because the answer is yes or no. church, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Jesus has already taken the initiative. Now that's part of what makes grace so amazing. He became one of us and, and more specifically on the cross, he became our sin and he died. But then he did what we couldn't have done for ourselves when he rose again from the dead. And as he rose from the dead, he did so with the promise of a new life, with the offer of forgiveness of sin for anyone who would follow him. And so this morning, if you want to respond to that grace initiative, if you want to enter into that relationship with Christ, want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Just right where you're sitting to pray a response prayer. Responding to his grace. Just silently talk to God. Silently say something like this in your own words. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I confess my sin to you in order to claim your forgiveness. And Jesus, right now, I declare that you are my Lord, that I will follow you from this moment forward. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for making me aware of it. I pray this prayer in your name. bowed for another moment. It's a sacred moment. But if that was your prayer, you're kind of in the perfect place for it because you're surrounded by people who want to help. None of us has it all figured out, but maybe, maybe we've been a little bit further down the road in this faith journey and we want to help in any way that we can. So if you would, I want to ask you to do a couple of things. If you would, just right now, right where you're sitting, if you just prayed that prayer, would you take the program that you got when you came in, open it up, and just start filling out the connect card that's inside it. 
Just fill it out and you'll notice about a third of the way down or so is a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. And then once you've completed that card, you can just tear it off along the perforation there on the fold. And before you leave, I want to ask you if you will, just hand it to one of our ushers, one of our hosts, or maybe somebody underneath the blue canopy out on the big front porch where the art show is happening. But the second thing I want to ask you is you complete that card. As our heads are bowed for just another moment, would you just raise your hand? Just, just lift your hand up in the air and hold it there for a moment because what that does is it's a physical statement about a spiritual commitment. And it's a reminder for you and, and in this place that this matters and it's real. And it happened and it is once and for all. And as I said, we want to help in any way that we can. First of all, as you put your hands down, we just want to celebrate that with you and put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.